Let's pray and, and we'll get started. Father, as always, we just want to say thank you. And Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the way that you love us. Because Father, we know that if you did not love us, there would be no salvation. We would be left to ourselves. We would be outside of the kingdom for all of eternity. There would be no mercy for us. There would be no forgiveness. And we would be lost and we would die in our sins. Father, because you love us, because of your great love for us, this perfect love, we all can sit here this morning confident that we will be with you for all of eternity because you were moved by your love for us to sacrifice Christ for us. It is difficult, Father, for us to truly comprehend that. But we are so grateful. We pray that you would continue to teach us, Father, that you would continue to transform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. The Father, we would love others the way that you've loved us. And that we would love others in a way, Father, that reveals the beauty of who you are. That reveals the strength of your power to transform us. Beings that are naturally unloving and selfish into those who are, again, like Jesus. And so, Father, we ask for your blessing on our time in your word this morning. And we pray that your spirit would use it, Father, to have an impact on us and to change us, and that you would complete the work that you've begun in us. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4, a very familiar passage to many, reads, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I guess we could make the message really short. I can ask for a show of hands of all those who have loved this way. And then since nobody would raise their hand, I would say, all of us fail to love, let's pray. And then we can leave here dejected. <laughs> because we have utterly failed at the essence of who we are to be as Christians. I can remember that the way this started was where Paul said earlier on that he would show the Corinthians a more excellent way. And this is what he's talking about. This is a way of living that he wants to explain to them. Paul has made the argument really for the absolute supremacy and the necessity of love if one is to be a Christian at all. Paul here in his description uses verbs to designate what love is like because Paul is indicating that Christian love is active. And so basically the idea is rather than striving to keep the various commandments that God has given us, if we just love God with all of our hearts, our behavior will follow. Rather than going all out to do works of righteousness or to try to obtain maybe a prominent place in the church, we are to love each other and to love God. Now, I will be honest, this can be, because this is we're not going to finish this today, this can be a difficult set of sermons to listen to, 
because of how we hear things. So it's important that we ask God to help us to hear with an eye in the mirror. Because we very naturally and very easily hear and understand all the words I'm going to be using today. And you will immediately notice how your spouse and your Christian friends fall short of loving you the way they are to love you. You will become, if you're not already, painfully aware that we are not being loved in this way. It may cause you to feel down, disappointed, unmotivated to love others, feel sorry for ourselves, and the list goes on. In fact, we will rightfully evaluate the failures of others to love. And then we will be tempted to love others better when they start loving us better. Which is not the Christian approach, but that's the human approach. I do think what we need to also recognize is, even though we may have accurately understood that we are not loved this way, that all of us are missing major elements in our lives, we do need to be reminded that this is the way that God does love us. And the way that we are to apply what he is giving us here to our lives, I hope will take a different path than we normally hear. So we will understand really what it is that God expects from us. And it's really quite incredible as to what he expects. God is demanding of you and I something that we can never do on our own. It is impossible. The only way that we are able to love anyone this way, and that would be to love this way consistently, not just for a little while, is through the strength of God. In fact, we have this reminder given to us as to how God loves us in Romans 5, which I read it this morning, which means for while we were still weak, meaning without strength, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person he would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the emphasis there that we should not miss is that we were actively sinning and rebelling against God when he died for us. Okay, we were in the midst of that. You know, we, God didn't wait for us to kind of throw our temper tantrum and stop our rebellion. And then out of exhaustion, realizing he didn't get us anywhere, say we were sorry and then sent Jesus to die for us. He didn't wait for that. While we were actively rebelling, he sent Christ. Christ died for those who were at enmity with him, those who bitterly hated him. And so it begins by telling us two positive things. That love is patient and love is kind. God's patience is described for us in Romans 2. In verse 4 it reads, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And normally when we look at that verse, we look at the latter part of it, which talks about God being kind to us and his kindness then, is to lead us to repent, to, to recognize our sinfulness and to turn to Him. And He tells us that if we don't do that, that we're presuming upon the riches of His kindness and forbearance. But when it talks about His kindness in conjunction with His forbearance and patience, the idea there 
is that we were, again, at this moment, we are, we are unloving towards God. There, there's, there's, there's no idea present that, again, we were somehow neutral or, again, that, we, that, that God was unaware of what we would do in the future. We've mentioned, I've mentioned this a few times in trying to help us to understand that we do have, in small ways, an ability to love kind of like God. And what I mean by that would be this. I think all of us do this, those of us who've had children. When we, when our, when we first discover that you know, your wife is pregnant, when you discover that you're pregnant, we're usually pretty excited. You know, we want to have kids. We want to have little beings that somehow look like us. Maybe more like our wives than we are. But anyway, we, we, want, we, want, we, we want to see all the stuff that goes with these little kids growing up. Now, there's something that we do know that we don't really think about, and that is this. They will utterly disappoint you. They're going to hurt your feelings. They're going to say bad things to you sometimes. They're going to even disobey you, even on purpose. There'll be times they will act ugly and even embarrass you. And what we normally don't do is begin to think about that and say, you know, I mean, I know we're pregnant, but I've been thinking. And this, this kid, besides being expensive, I just don't know if there's going to be enough joy to overcome all the bad things that are going to happen. Maybe this was not such a good idea. Maybe when we have the kid, we shouldn't put so much effort into it so that we're not disappointed. You know, let's... I mean, we can buy them a few used toys, some hand-me-downs. Oh, we don't want to get carried away. And, and then when the inevitable happens, we can say, see, I knew that was coming. We don't do that. So with knowledge, we actually choose, and we don't really think we're doing this, but we choose to love that child knowing in advance, even though we don't know the specifics, all the trouble they're going to give us. And we sometimes, maybe most times, we think it's worth it. Now you hear some adults later on, you know, when they have their teenagers, and they're like, I just don't know if it was worth it. You know, we, we feel bad for them, because it must be especially bad. But the point is, is that we, we do have that ability to love. So here, when it comes to God loving us, and God loving us with forbearance and patience, you, you do know that God is fully aware that there are moments in your life you're going to be extremely ungrateful. Even in your ignorance, you may, even as a believer, still turn on God. Not that you are out and out rebelling against Him and, and you're saying somehow you want to throw away your salvation. Not that. But the idea that, that you're disappointed that, and maybe even upset He didn't answer prayers the way you would like Him to or when you would like Him to or whatever the case may happen to be. He, he knew that in advance. It, it kind of goes back to... And maybe I do think about strange things at times, but you know, when I read through the stories of the Bible, and Jesus is feeding the masses, and He is healing them, this is what I sometimes think about. Jesus knows which one of those individuals is going to be screaming for His crucifixion a few months from now. And if I was Jesus, I would say, 
I'm not healing your son. Because I know what you're going to do. In fact, you're going you're to be spitting on me when I'm on the cross. And you may say, oh, I would never do that. Yeah, well, I know better. That's what I would do. And so here Christ is healing and performing these miracles and feeding these individuals. And then, of course, as we know, willingly laying down his life to die for us, knowing that we are in the middle of this rebellion and it will continue. It's absolutely amazing. Which immediately tells us, since that is the ultimate illustration of how we are to love, that we never ever have the right to withhold our love for anyone based on their behavior. We often naturally do that. We at times, maybe often, think we have the right to withhold our love. That we can think of many people who would never hold that against us, would say, well, of course, I understand how you can no longer love that person. But the Bible doesn't know anything about that when it comes to the way that we are supposed to love. It's, it's, it's a very strong, powerful thing. Not in and of itself, but, but the one who is loving must be a certain kind of individual. We can't be weak and extra or super sensitive or any of these things. In fact, the only way we can really love this way is we... We must know who we are in Christ. We, we must truly be satisfied with the concept, with the truth, that we are fully accepted by God. That the one who counts the most has accepted us, period. And will never betray us and never reject us. That is supposed to mean something to us, to, to not only... Not only in the sense that it gives me a sense of comfort and I feel good because I feel loved. But it is to give to me and it is to give to you a kind of strength that transcends circumstances. That transcends the bad attitudes of other people. It, it is, it, it, it's, it's an incredible thing when you think about it. We live very much in a pop-psychologized world. Where there has been a, an enormous amount of emphasis through the years on this idea that, that we must love ourselves. But remember that the Bible does declare that you already do. So we don't need to work on that. We don't need to think about that. There is this idea or these ideas that are out there that many of our difficulties we have because we are not loved as we ought to be loved. Now there is some truth in the sense that we are influenced and that maybe bad behavior is made worse. So we can see the strength of both love and not being loved. But this idea that I need to be focused on somehow getting this love is never going to be the answer. It's a strange thing, if you think about it, that what we need the most, you can't go out and try to get because if you try and go and get it, you'll never get it. And it kind of goes back to the dilemma that a lot of uh, uh, past dictators have had in foreign countries. You know, where they want all power. But they, they don't just want power, they want the allegiance of their people. And even though they may rule with an iron fist, most of them do, through cruelty and terror and torture and all the rest, 
What they really want is they want people to love them. And so they demand it. And it makes them angry when people only obey them out of fear. They still want the obedience, but it's never satisfying. And the more you demand that people love you, it seems the less they will. It's just, it just doesn't work that way. That for us to find what we need the most, for us to possess what we need more than anything else, or I guess you would say to make us complete and mature and all those things that kind of go with that, we actually have to forget about ourselves and our psychological needs and forget about our emotional needs and pursue Christ and pursue others. And when you do that, what you and I need the most, God has said He would provide. And He provides it through His love for us, and He does provide it through other people. Because maybe all of us, hopefully all of us here, have people that God has placed in your life that love you, inconsistently like this, but they love you. That is not an accident. There are no accidents with God. And so what we need the most, God is providing for us. But kind of like what we do with food, you know, food is great and food tastes wonderful and we are to enjoy food as well as, you know, eat food for its nutritional value. We can easily become a glutton or we can easily begin to eat emotionally or we easily become obsessed with food. And so the same thing when it comes to this is that, you know, we, we, need we, we need reassurances and we need encouragement and all these things. And then we obsessively focus on that. And we're told by the world that all these problems that we have aren't really our fault because we have all of these unmet needs. And there's, there's a grain of truth in that. But man, we've just blown it out of proportion to the point that we have, when I say we, our society in general has created a category, even though they're inconsistent with it, where people are not responsible for what they do. And we are. Even if you grow up without ever being loved by anyone, you're still responsible for the ugliness that you do and the ugliness that you are. That never minimizes the fact that love is needed. And that, and that we must love this way. But it's important for us as believers anyway... To do everything we can to eliminate this selfish obsession we have with our own needs being met. And let it go. And in that, you and I will find freedom. In that, I believe we will be able to actually enjoy the love that others have for us. Because you see, if we're obsessed with this kind of, with, with being loved the way we believe we should be loved, and you may even be right and define it correctly, if we are obsessed with it, what you will find is you will always be unsatisfied with how much people love you. Because it will never be enough. You'll see flaws in it all the time. And so you, so you will then be receiving what you have always needed, and you will be unhappy and unfulfilled. And there's a fear for some to let that go, because the fear is, is that we'll never be loved the way we desperately want to be loved. And so it's really important that we, that we come to that point in our lives that we can let all that go. And that's not easy. 
And I'm convinced the only ones who can be truly successful in, in, a, in a mature, joyful way is the believer. Because when the non-believer tries to do this, they become the stoic, or they become a sociopath, or they become something, you know, arrogant, or whatever. There's all these negative things that kind of come along with trying to, you know, rid yourself of obsessing with this fact that we need to be loved this way. So we really should never minimize the strength and the power of love. We should never minimize the power of its influence and the power of the lack of the influence of love. We should recognize it for what it is. But then realize that we are, because of sin, we are unable to love this way. And because of sin, we can easily obsess over this because we recognize that it's missing from our lives. And so there is true healing in Christ. All the, the pain that you may have experienced in life because others have failed you, which we've all experienced that, some to a much greater degree than others, some maybe minimally, but nonetheless, there is healing in Christ to the point that we can be restored to what God intended for us to be as human beings. And that is not human beings running around trying to be loved, but running around as human beings who are loving others. And in that we will find just an overwhelming wealth of joy and happiness. That is the love that God has for us. And so as we think about God's love for us in that way, that then hopefully should encourage us to, to love others this way. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul writes and talks about that, that, G, that he received mercy from God, and one of the reasons why he received mercy from God was so that Jesus Christ could display in Paul his, his, his perfect patience. So when it comes then to loving others, remember the very first thing is love is what? Patience. And what God desires is for you and I to recognize the mercy He's shown us and the patience that He has shown us. So we then, as Christ then lives in us, we can reveal to others the patience of Christ. And so I have readily admitted this. It doesn't make me better than anybody, but I've readily admitted that one of one of my major weaknesses is unbelievable impatience with certain people. With some people, I, I, have, I have patience that just, it seems to know no end. But that's nothing to brag about because I also have a patience that knows an end pretty quickly. And it's just, it's not good. And what God desires to do in and through me and in and through you is reveal to others this incredible patience. And so... This, this calling of God to, to love others, immediately, just with this first word, this first descriptive verb that he uses, immediately just throws away this idea where there's a focus on the feelings of affection. I'm not against the feelings of affection, but this is so much more than that. This is so much stronger than that. So that's why we, we must be committed to this. And we must be committed then to understanding the love of God, enjoying the love of God, 
And realizing that it also tells us in Romans that God has poured his love into our hearts. So you and I actually do already possess as Christians all the love that we need to be able to love others this way. So we really have just no excuse. The only thing that stands in our way is our own sin. Whether it's a bad attitude, preconceived ideas, whatever it happens to be. It's our own sin. And so reading this can actually be quite depressing. Not because I recognize that others have failed to be patient with me, but because I'm failing to be patient with others. The old word that's used for patience is the word long-suffering. That is really uh, a, a, an apt description of this word and how we are to think about patience. Patience is this idea that regardless of the circumstances, you remain the same. Now, now that doesn't mean you remain the same because you've always been impatient. But, but the idea is on the positive side that, that you, have, you have the character of Christ. And so as a result of that, then no matter what the circumstances are, you are unchanged. That's why I'm convinced that so often in life, those spontaneous moments where maybe your goodness, but usually it's our ugliness is revealed, that's God revealing to us where our heart really is. You, you know, there may be a day where I'm thinking, oh, you know, not that I actually think this way, but let's just say I'm thinking this way, Man, I'm, man, I've been doing good. I'm, I've been really patient with a lot of people in a lot of circumstances. And I'm feeling pretty good about that. And then, someone on the road who is, in my estimation, a jerk or an idiot or both, pulls in front of me and doesn't know how to drive. You know, the posted speed limit, they somehow are unaware of it. Or the person in the left lane who doesn't pass. Or, if you've ever been on I-95... Speed limit is 70. And so this car goes to go around these big old trucks. And the big old truck is going 66. And that person decides to go 67. I have a hard time with that. Especially on the beginning of a trip to see my parents. Because it's a 500-mile trip. And I'm going 56, actually 55 and 3 quarters mile an hour. Waiting for this person to get by this truck. And of course, the impatience becomes worse when I realize that in front of the semi is another one. And then someone with their RV. And we're going to be here all day. And so the Lord reveals to me that, eh, Bob, you're not really. And so what we have to recognize here is as we look at ourselves, is to compare ourselves to what the Word of God says. And, and even though we can sometimes laugh at those things, it does reveal a very real flaw. You know, that really is a problem that I have. It's not just some small thing. If, if I'm not riding their bumper and honking my horn, I'm, I'm at least handling it outwardly okay, but it's still there, and that ugliness can come out at other times. So there's a patience that, that holds out under trial, under a long, protracted restraint, uh, where there's this long, protracted restraint of our soul, where we do not yield to passion or to anger. A paraphrase is this, But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of His great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in Him and receive eternal life. I, I realize oftentimes working in the jail when you work with individuals that, that have 
have done things that are sometimes unimaginable. And yet, you know, the love of Christ, you can still offer them that. The gospel is still true for them. I'm to be an example. And the way that I'm an example of that is I don't hold back because I don't want that person to, to hear the gospel. And there are times you're tempted to do that. There, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I know some of you have just because you're a human being. Because some of us, if we think about it, there are certain people we're not always really sure we want them to get saved. Because we want them to get what's coming to them. Now, I know that can sound extreme, but usually when that person's betrayed you on purpose over and over again, it's actually easy to think that. And so we need to recognize that. And that God wants to use us as the example. That God has been so unbelievably patient with me, He will also be patient with them. The word kind here, because He says love is patient and kind. Kind carries the idea of one who's inclined to be of a good service to others. This is an act of goodness. So this is not just a disposition where you feel kind towards someone, but this is where you want to actively do something for someone else. You, you want to actively serve them. So love then produces or makes you patient. So the love of God in me should cause me or make me patient. It should motivate me and energize me to serve others. So what we have to ask ourselves as Christians is this. So as I think about my Christianity, as I think about the way that I live my life, as I think about the spiritual disciplines, as I read the Bible, as I pray, as I go to church and and Bible study and worship God with others, when I think about where God wants me to be and, and, and how God wants me to progress, Is my relationship with God and all these things doing, is it producing in me greater patience with everyone else and things or circumstances? That's the questions we need to ask ourselves. This is not just do you have a better handle on theology. Theology is important, but it's not theology outside of application. It needs to have an impact on our heart And when we say these have an impact on our heart, it doesn't mean that you just feel a sense of heaviness where you feel convicted. That may be the beginning, but it can never just end there. It it needs to do more, it needs to move us to where there's actual change in us as an individual. So what what we should do as believers is ask ourselves when it comes to specifically what he's talking about, are you more patient today than you were five years ago? If you've been a believer that long. And don't just think in general. Just say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm much more patient. And that, that's good if you are. But you know, be a little more specific about that. You know, especially about those who try you. Those who you don't have a natural affinity for. Those who kind of rub you the wrong way. Are you more understanding? Are you more patient with them? Because that is what God is demanding of you and I as believers. I think that when we finish with this section, if we really have a good handle, because this, is, this covers every aspect of the Christian life, that if we have a really good handle on what love is and how we are to love others, we should become, we should become convinced of a couple of things. Number one, that even though we live in a changing society that cares very little about God or religion or anything else, the way the church has always had an impact on the world at large has been by the way we love each other and love them. And perhaps the reason why we have had so little effect 
over the last 20 or 30 years is because we love little. The only way we're going to have an effect on people in our family and, and, and our neighbors is we're going to love like this. This doesn't mean then that, that if you love like this, all of a sudden you, your neighbors will be running to your yard and falling on their knees repenting. Though that would be pretty cool if that did happen. But right now, all I know is it's never going to happen because we don't love like this. They're never astounded. They, they, they should be so astounded by the way that we love each other that they think that we're a little maybe dumb. They should be so astounded by the way that we love the world that they think that we're actually weak. And sometimes we're afraid they'll think that. We shouldn't be afraid of that. Because there's strength in this. We have the ability to love others regardless of what the world thinks about them. We're willing to stand up for them. It's not just that we stand up for the unborn baby. That's important. Because abortion is, in the end, abortion really is murder. There's just, you can't get away from that. It's a human life that's being taken. And we're, and we're willing to stand for that. And that's good. We should. But sometimes, and maybe it's often, we're not willing to stand up for the person at work that no one else seems to understand because that person's a jerk all the time. We're not willing to befriend them and be patient with them so we can share with them the gospel of Christ. We're not willing to do that. So you, so you see, there's a disconnect there. We're, we're picking and choosing, and we have to stop doing that. We need to be like Jesus. Jesus didn't care what anybody thought about other people. Remember that they made fun of him saying, you eat with tax collectors and prostitutes. You are their friend. They were truly disgusted by Jesus. And he kept company with those individuals. He never became like them at all. But he loved them. He cared for them. And there are people that we may know. Maybe all of us know these kinds of individuals. But there are people that we know that other people don't like. And, and we need to be their friend. We need to come to their defense. Never saying that what they do or how they act is right or correct. But we need to love them. And ask the Lord to use that in such a way that one day they may ask you, why? Why do you stand up for me? And then you can tell them of God's incredible patience with you. And what God has done for you. And that you are commanded by God to love them the way that God loves us. And that God's love is patient and it's kind and you must be that way and that your love for them is genuine but it's not because it's been self-generated it's because God has poured his love into your heart and that is why you're able to love them that way they may come to Christ they may not but they've heard they've understood and they've seen it illustrated before them. And they have no excuse. So never underestimate the power of love. Never underestimate the depravity of our own immaturity. And we should be praying for each other and for ourselves as we come before the Lord to ask Him to do a deep, deep work in our hearts. So that we then can become at least the first two things Remember that when this description that he gives here of love, it's not like baseball. 
that if you get a hit three times out of ten, you're doing really good. This is all of it. And so we'll pick up the rest next week to see what it is. But remember, this has not ever been intended to be a heavy burden to you or to me. This is not to be a heavy chain. Like, oh, I've got to be patient and kind. It's not that at all. Because you will be energized by the Spirit of God. And you will see the fruits of your labor. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we ask, Lord, that you forgive us. I know for many of us, I know for me, I've often failed to love the way that I am supposed to love. I think very little at times of your love for me, of your patience. And so as a result, Lord, I know that we fail others so often. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to become deeply discontented with ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to resist the way of the world and to stop obsessing with all of these emotional needs that we have that have been unmet. Help us, Father, to embrace the fact that our emotional needs, all of them, are met in Christ and through your people. And perhaps we have been complaining about the things that we've actually been receiving all this time. Help us to become content with you. We pray, Lord, that you would grant us the desire to mature in this way. And to begin to move with action towards those who are the unlovely. Those who are not loved by others. Regardless of the set of circumstances or who they are. To give us the wisdom, Lord, that we will never condone, perhaps, their behavior. But make it clear that we love them. In the way that you love us. Father, this is something that we know we cannot do on ourselves. We, we can't even have the proper desire to go in this direction without your help. And so we pray, Lord, that your presence would be strong in our lives. And that we would find ourselves daily coming to you, begging and seeking for your help and strength. That, Father, we may be released from the grip of sin in our lives. And we then may be used by you not only in the lives of others that we know, but even to be used in the lives of others that we love desperately. We thank you, Father, for those who have loved us and for those who do love us. Help us, Father, to appreciate the incredible power and beauty of love. We do thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.